Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you want a blessed life? Great. Many. There's only three in the first service, but I'm glad there's many more today. Um, we do. We, uh, we want to find happiness. We want to be blessed. We want God's hand to be upon us. I think we'd all agree with that. We want God's favor on our life. And, and what we've been discovering over the last couple of weeks is, is how do we find happiness in this pursuit of happiness? We know that we live in the United States and we know that we have one of the uh, highest levels of, of just goodness in our nation. I mean, just the standard of living is, is, is amazing. And you would think that with all these things at our fingertips and how many things we have access to that we would be more happier than we are. And, and I think we're missing something. And what I want you to see today is we dig into the word of God. The Lord shows us exactly the key to happiness and having a blessed life. And I think the problem is we look for things to fulfill what only God can fulfill in our life. And, and those things may be good for a time, but then they, they lose their fervency. They, 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 they just lose our, our grip on our hearts. And after a while, we chase after something else and something else to, to kind of fill that void that's in our life. And I was thinking about that when I was younger. I can remember there's this one thing that I really wanted. I think I was nine or 10 and I kept bugging my parents. And the one thing that I wanted was a mini bike. I wanted a mini bike so bad. There's the mini bike. My, my, I think my dad got this Rupp 3.5 Tecumseh engine mini bike for like 50 bucks. And uh, the, the little boy next to me, I think he lives in Florida now. He actually sent me this picture on Facebook. I go, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. My grandparents had about 100 acres in South Bristol. And so my dad goes, okay, I'll help you get a mini bike. And so we kind of fixed this Rupp mini bike up. And, um, and it was great. And I loved it. And I was the coolest kid on the block. I mean, that, that's, look at me. I am cool. Look at the hair, 70s or what? Um, so I have this mini bike and... And you start riding around. Well, there's a lot of hills there where, where my grandparents' cottage was. And the, the mini bike just couldn't get up the hills. And I kind of got tired with it. And I think sand got in the engine and we blew a big hole in the side of the manifold. It was just, it was just all kind of fun with that mini bike. I think we spent half the time fixing it more than riding it. And so then I remember as I got older, I think I was in ninth grade. And um, I said, Dad, I really want a motorcycle. So... Uh, my dad says, okay, well, what kind of motorcycle do you want? I go, I really want, a, a, I really want a dirt bike. I mean, I would love to have a dirt bike to ride around, uh, in, in South Bristol. I would love to have a dirt bike. What do you think about that? So they made a deal with me. They said, listen, if, if you go to youth group one time, we'll help you buy a dirt bike. So I did, I got saved going to youth group and here I am today. So all because of that, that dirt bike. But, um, I love that dirt bike. It was a, a Suzuki TS-185. It, it had dual shocks on it. How many of you I'm talking your language? Half the people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. But for you, those of you, you know what I'm talking about. It was orange. It was great. It had trial knobbies on it. Didn't work real well on the trails. So my dad and I bought this 400 knobby tire to put on the back of, of the motorcycle. And it rubbed on the chain guard. But it was cool. Then all of a sudden, my friend gets an IT250 Yamaha Enduro that blew my TS-185 out of the trail. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so, yeah, those of you who speak motorcycle, you know what I'm talking about. And after a while, that was really fun. And then, you know, you get kind of tired of that. And, and eventually, you know, we sold it. And so here I am today, 49, and my wife won't let me get a motorcycle. So anyways, it's just, it, how many of you know that, that, that things 
have an appeal for a while and then they, they tend to lose their appeal. It's, and I'm not here to say whether or not you should have a, a motorcycle or not or whether or not things in this world we, we shouldn't have or we shouldn't enjoy them. But the problem is we're looking for things or material things to try to fix something that's in our heart, trying to fix something of, of we're trying to search for and this happiness we're looking for that ultimately doesn't fulfill our hearts and lives. And this is what I, I want to look at today. What, what can we look at in the word of God to try to fulfill that happiness and then have God's blessing in our life? Here's what I want you to see today. Do you realize that God desires to bless you abundantly? Do you know that? God is extravagant in his giving. He wants to abundantly bless you and, 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 and just extravagantly give to you his grace and his mercy beyond what you could ever understand or even consider. And what he wants is that blessing to come into our life and then flow from our lives to bless other people. And I believe that is the key to happiness is a giving heart. And that's the, that's the principle that we discovered last week. We understand that it's God's character to give. He gave us his only son. He gives us the gift of eternal life. God gives us generously through his grace and his mercy. And the purpose of my life is just not to consume, but it's just the opposite to give. And I think that's a primary key to discovering God's blessing and happiness in our lives. We have to understand that that God, through his son, paid the penalty for my sin. And through Christ, I am forgiven. And if I understand this, and I understand the forgiveness of God, it can't stop with me. It has to overflow from my life to others. And I believe the reason why maybe we're miserable, or maybe the reason why we're not content, is for the very reason that there may be unchecked bitterness in our hearts. There may be unforgiveness in our heart that we may have received God's blessing, but God's blessing stops with us and we're not giving that back. And so I want us to look at a parable this morning that Jesus speaks about. And I believe the core of this parable is all about our heart. And, and, and when you listen to this parable, the parable is so extreme. Um, when, when, when Jesus is speaking this parable, his listeners are going to listen to this parable and they're going to say, this is outrageous. Are you kidding me? You know, I can't believe that this would ever happen. And Jesus speaks this parable because he wants to grab the hearts of the listeners. And what a parable is, it's basically taking a heavenly concept and bringing it down to earthly terms so that we all understand it. And whether you realize or not, Jesus spoke in many stories or parables so that you and I could understand what God meant. And so what Jesus says is, he says, the kingdom of God, many times when you read through the gospels, he'll say the kingdom of God is like this. And he'll say a parable so that we can understand what God's heart is. And I believe through this parable, we're going to see the heart of God and how God desires to bless your life. Not only bless it, but bless it abundantly. That we will know and receive God's grace and mercy, but also we will allow that grace and mercy to flow through our hearts. That we can find that happiness and that joy that we've been looking for, that we ultimately will not find in a 3.5 Tecumseh engine rup minibike, all right? So let, let's see if we can find that. So I want to look at the parable of the unmerciful servant, which is um, found in Matthew chapter 18. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You can look up at the screens. And uh, let's look at this parable. We're going to be looking at um, verses 21 through 35. And uh, this parable, let me tee it up for you. Peter, the apostle Peter, asked Jesus a question. And he says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? 
And then, and then Jesus gives him this outrageous answer. And then Jesus jumps into, he uses it as a springboard to jump into this story about the unforgiving servant. So let's, let's see what the scriptures say here. It says, then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I should forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, now he jumps in. Now he's going to teach Peter a little lesson. He's going to teach him this parable, this story. And so he jumps into the story and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and that all he had and the, uh, and the payment had to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a uh, hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. Now remember, he just got forgiven of this huge debt. And so he's saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant did the same thing as he did. He pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly dis distressed and they went and reported to their master all had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you should not, or should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your, what does Jesus say there? From your heart. So I want you to get the picture here because at first glance, I don't know if we really know the severity of the debt that has been forgiven from this servant. So we start off and Peter asked, well, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times. Now, Peter thinks He's being very generous because in Judaism, three was very sufficient. So by Peter saying seven, he thought that, hey, Jesus, I'm being real forgiving at seven, right? So here's my back. Go ahead and pat me, right? Jesus, aren't I a good guy? And then Jesus turns around and his response is 70 times seven. So Jesus just kind of throws out this outrageous number to Peter to say, it's just not seven. I'm going to tell you 70 times seven. And so why does, he, why does he do this? Why does Jesus say this? Well, Jesus is saying this because a true follower of Christ doesn't keep score. A true follower of Christ keeps no records of wrong. If I keep a record of wrong, what I can do is I can use this later and stick it in my holster. And then when I'm ready to bring that out, I can bring that out at any moment. How many of you have ever had that done to you? where you've had aught with somebody and all of a sudden you get another argument and all of a sudden they pull something out that happened a week ago or four weeks ago or a year ago and they've been waiting for, they had that bullet in that holster for all that time and when you get in the argument, then they say, well, remember when you, oh, right? 
They're pulling that out because they want to get back at you. So they're going to use it. So have they really forgiven you? No, they maybe use lip service to forgive you, but they were using that for a later day to get back at you. And so we may think, well, I will forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. And just in case I need to bring this up again, I'm going to always remember this. Now, aren't we glad that God doesn't deal with us that way? Aren't you glad that God doesn't deal with us that way? I, I want to read you scripture, Psalms 103, 10 through 12. This is a great, great passage that kind of puts things into perspective for us. The psalmist says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's a good spot for an amen right there. Let me read it again. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. That's good. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. How can God do this? Why doesn't he treat us as our sins deserve? And here's the reason why. Jesus uh, came for, for a purpose, and that's to come to seek and save that, that which was lost, to become a ransom for us. So God didn't blink his eye. God didn't overlook our sin. That's the whole purpose for Jesus coming. The wrath of God that should have been pointed towards us was now placed upon his son. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still what? Sinners, Jesus died for us. That's why he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve because he treated his son that way. God poured his wrath out on his son who was perfect. God loved us so much that he knew that we couldn't pay for our sins. He knew that we were dead in our transgressions, the Bible says. But God in his love sends his only begotten son to be a substitute for us, to take the penalty of our sin upon himself, to take our sin upon his back. And by his stripes, Isaiah says, we are healed. By his suffering, we are healed. Jesus did that for us when I least deserve it, when I cussed him in his face, when I didn't serve him, when I didn't care about the cross, when I didn't care about what he did for us. Jesus didn't wait for Barden Grace to get, get his act all together. He did it out of compassion and love and out of his grace and mercy. His grace, something that he gives us, which, he, which we don't deserve, and his mercy is that he gives us something that we, that, that we do deserve, but yet, yet through his mercy and his grace. We don't get what we deserve. And that's what God wants us to see, that it did cost him something for our forgiveness. And what does God tell us? He says, put your faith in my son. And when you put your faith in my son and you realize that what I did to you was out of an act of grace and mercy, then you're going to respond to me with gratitude and humility for what I've done. Listen, if, if, if God's grace doesn't demand everything from me, then I don't understand what he did for me. Catch it. See, what religion does is religion is, is man's attempt to try to reach God. So we bargain with God. We say, well, if I'm good, then I'll do this. If I do my penance, then God, you owe me to do this. But when I understand God's graces, God's graces, Barden, there's nothing that I can ask of you. There's nothing that you should not give of me that I should ask you because you were bought by my grace. You were bought by a price. Now, if I dicker with God and say, well, God, I'll do this much and then we'll bargain a little bit. Then, I, then if God asks me to do something, I can say, well, I'm not going to do that because of this or what. God says, no, you were bought with a price. You brought nothing to the table. 
And so the way I respond to God's grace and mercy is I respond by gratitude by saying, there's nothing that you cannot ask of me at this point. There's nothing. Because there was nothing in me that could ever save me or make me right before you. It was all done through the mercy and grace of him sending his son. So now my mindset is different. I see that God did everything for me. So the words to Peter seem so extravagant and so extreme, but it was meant to come across that way because God wants us to see there's no limit to his grace and we could never match it. His love is beyond comprehension. And and this is why the parable that Jesus tells next is so outlandish. At first, it may not seem like a big deal, but let me break the parable down for you. Because Jesus says this, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It was like a king who wanted to settle his accounts. And there was one servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages of labor. Now, if you were to put that in today's terms, it would be an unthinkable debt of around $6 billion. So this servant owes the master $6 billion. Now, can anybody pay back $6 billion unless you're Bill Gates, right? There's no way. I mean, so Jesus throws out this outlandish number knowing that there's no way that the servant can pay back this debt. And that's exactly what Jesus wants his listeners to understand. He wants them to understand that this guy is headed to prison, to debtor's prison with his whole family. There's no way he's going to pay this back. No, no wishful thinking is going to work here. He, he's at the complete, listen, he's at the complete mercy of his master. And so what does he do? He begs and he pleads and the master has what on him? He has compassion He has mercy on him. Your wheels are turning now, right? You're starting to get the parable a little bit. So so the the servant was asked to give everything to him, his whole family. So he begs and he pleads and he falls to his knees. And out of pity, the king forgives him of his debts. Now, why was Jesus being so outlandish? Well, he wanted us to see how far God would go to forgive us of our sins. We were so in debt because of our sin, we had no way of repaying it. And that's exactly... Jesus's point here. Jesus makes this wonderful point that he says, there's no way you could ever repay this. In fact, the Bible tells us that, and Paul explains it in Romans, that, that there's, there's a penalty, that there's a wage to our sin. He says, the wage of sin is what? It's, it's death. There's no way you could repay it. But he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's a gift that he gives us that, that's not earned, that, that's not deserved, that's not merited. He gives us this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you have this same servant who has just been forgiven of $6 billion. He goes to this other servant who owes him money. And what does he do? He chokes him. He's just been forgiven $6 billion. Now he goes to this other servant and he chokes him. Now, now the other servant owed him, the Bible says, 100 denarii. Now, now this was still a large amount, but in our day and age, it would be worth about $12,000. So you have $6 billion and you have 12000 The servant just been forgiven of $6 billion. He goes to his servant who owes him 12,000, and now he's not going to forgive him. And so what he does is he begins to choke him and tells him, you owe me all this, and he throws him in jail. 
This servant was unwilling to forgive his servant, even though he was forgiven the amount that he could never repay. He wasn't able to forgive the servant that owed him. And so what does this incident reveal? What does this incident reveal about this servant or the character of this servant? Well, what's interesting about what this reveals is, as Jesus says it at the end of the parable, he says it reveals something about the servant's heart. So if here's what I want you to understand about the gospel message. When, when the gospel message truly gets a hold of your heart, there's a, a radical transformation that begins to happen. We understand the lengths and the depths that Jesus went through for us to forgive us and something changes in my heart there's a humility that happens there's a there's a there's a there's a understanding that that god you did so much for me and so this transformation begins to happen in my heart and life see what jesus wanted us to see about this unforgiving servant is that it, it truly showed that the man's heart wasn't transformed by the forgiveness that was offered to him. See, the moment he had to forgive somebody else, he wasn't willing to forgive him. So what it showed was it revealed his heart that his heart hadn't been transformed. There was no gratitude in his heart for what had been forgiven of him, which was six billion dollars. And he could not forgive twelve thousand dollars. That's a shame. And so the blessing of his forgiveness stopped with him. He could could have been a blessing to his servant by offering the same forgiveness. And so what Jesus does is Jesus ends this by saying, we must forgive from our heart if it's truly going to be transformational. If we really understand what Jesus Christ did for us, it literally has to change Our heart. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. A changed heart results in a changed life. Listen, it has to. When I understand the debt that was forgiven for me, it changes my heart from a heart that's been stingy and all about me and all about self serving to a heart that wants to give, that understands the abundancy of what Jesus Christ has done for me. All of a sudden, my heart wants to offer grace and mercy. All of a sudden, my gratitude begins to change. All of a sudden, the way I look at the world begins to change. That's why I, I, that's why I love going to see the Christmas carol um, at the Jiva Theater. I've gone like the last five years with Lily and uh, Kathleen went with us last year. I just love it because the actor that plays Scrooge does such a good job. Any of you seen the Christmas Carol at Jiva Theater? Are you with? Isn't that good? That's so good. And I love about Scrooge because what happens to Scrooge is the reason why he's a Scrooge is because he's a Scrooge, right? And he's a miser and he takes everything and until it's revealed to his heart how stingy his heart is. And when he realizes that there's a transformation that literally happens in his heart from one that is stingy to one that is forgiving, one that wants to give, one that wants to bless. And the actor that, that plays Scrooge does such a fabulous job at that. And I, get, I, get, I admit, I get a little emotional 
at that part. And, and I do it because I never get emotional, right? Never get emotional. And so I get emotional at that part because you know what it says to me? That's exactly what the gospel does in our hearts. That's exactly what it should do. It changes that hardened heart that was self-centered, that was all about me. And all of a sudden it begins to change to like, God, I see it now. I see what a blessed life is all about. That it's not just about receiving your grace, but it's about giving. It's not just about giving financially and blessing other people, but it's all about when someone has ought against me or hurts me, it's me forgiving them when they don't deserve it. Now, once again, I said last week, that doesn't make what they did, even if it's a horrible thing, it makes it uh, better. It makes it like, well, what they did, well, we're going to brush it in the carpet. I'm not talking about that. But what I am saying is when you're able to forgive, you release yourself from that bondage. You release yourself that you cut that umbilical cord from you and your past and the change from your past and what held you and what held you captive to the bitterness and the unforgiveness. It releases you to let God do what they need to do in their life and, and however that gets handled. But it releases you to move on with the Lord, to allow him to flow and bless your life. God wants you to live in his abundancy. But what we do is it's, C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, you know, sometimes we compromise so much. It's like, a, it's like a little kid making mud pies in his backyard, in muddy backyard, not knowing that, that there's an ocean just miles away that he could make these beautiful sandcastles. And what we do by not offering forgiveness is we settle to not allow God to bless our life abundantly. When we forget, when we don't forgive and when we choose not to give and bless other people's lives, what we do is we stop the flow of God's blessing in our lives. And God says, I want to bless you so much, so abundantly, but you're not letting me do it because you're settling. You're thinking that by not forgiving or not giving or not allowing your life to be a blessing, you think you're hurting the other person when it's not. It's hurting you. God says, I want that forgiveness and that grace and that blessing to flow through your life. His love is so abundant. I just think of the, I think many of us act this way. It's like the little boy, little sister breaks his truck and he's all mad and really mad at his sister his mom goes, you have to forgive your sister. You have to forgive her. So he finally gets to the point where he goes, well, I'm going to forgive her on the outside, but I'm not going to forgive her on the inside. Right? I think, I think we get to that point to where we're like, yeah, we may say it, but, but God says, I want it to change your heart. I, I, I want that forgiveness to flow in your life. I can't truly say that I've experienced Christ's forgiveness if I withhold it. I can't say that. You see, the whole point of the parable is that the servant, listen, listen, listen. The point of the parable is that the servant missed the blessing of God because he didn't offer forgiveness. You see, I want... I want your grace and your love to be so extravagant so that you understand how extravagant God was with us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's, it kind of goes a little bit against the, um, 
Wednesday night financial seminar we're going through. So <laughs> just give me, a little, give me a little grace here, okay? I'm not saying do this all the time, but I'm just saying I'm giving you a little example here, okay? Dave Ramsey is going to be mad at me. But let me just say this, okay? Let me just, let me just say this. So we need to live on a budget. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we need to handle our money correctly. I get all that. But you know what? Sometimes, don't do this all the time because then your kids will get used to it and they'll expect it. Don't do it all the time. But sometimes, get dessert. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Amen. I don't know. It must have been for my kids. I don't know. Um, listen, listen. Do you know what I'm saying? Just once. Let them get sprinkles on their ice cream cone. I know it's an extra 50 cents, okay? I know it's going to kill some of you to do that, but just once. And what I'm saying here is this, not to go against our finance, because that just, I'm going to get emails. That's not what Dave Ramsey said. No, I'm just teasing. But I'm just saying, just listen, listen. God is so extravagant with us. That he says, not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to put sprinkles on it. I'm going to put whipped cream on it. I'm going to put a hot fudge on it. I'm going to put a cherry on it because that's how much I love it. I'm going to go way beyond what the law says, what's required. The three strikes you're out and you can't forgive. Jesus says, it's not only going to be three, it's going to be 70 times that. That's how much I want to forgive you. That's what, that's what I want you to get about God's love and how much he cares for us. Does that mean he overlooks our sin? No. But what I'm saying is when I understand God's grace and how much he poured out his grace and how much it cost him his son, my reaction to that is not some religious reaction where it becomes legalistic and it becomes some set of rules and regulations. Now my heart is gripped by his love and gratitude and thankfulness that I want to serve him. Out of gratitude, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude, out of his endless mercy for me, which causes me to want to live my life the way he wants me to live in obedience to him. Man, that's good preaching right there. That's, that's really the crux of the gospel message right there. And some of you have been living this religious type of relationship with God that's based so much on rules and regulations that it's, it's literally bound you, that, that, that you're meticulous about everything you do and you don't do, 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 do and it just, it, it sucks the joy out of it. And God says, I don't want that type of relationship with you. I want there to be joy and abundancy that flows through your life. And he goes, the way this happens is by how much you allow that grace to flood your life and how much you allow it to be released out of your life. So when you're able to forgive those that are unforgivable, when you're able to give beyond what is required, you'll understand the forgiveness and the mercy that he displayed upon your life. And there, you're going to find happiness. You're going to find a joy that you've never found before. How can Paul and Silas be sitting in prison, basically getting ready to get executed? How can they sing praises unto the Lord at that moment in their life? Because they had a joy that no one could take away from them. It was a joy serving the Lord that they could sit there in that horrible situation, yet still sing praises unto God. 
because ultimately they were pleasing Christ. They had such a sweet relationship with him and they understood God's mercy and his grace that they could still in that situation have joy and sing praises unto God. That's where I want my life to be. That's where I want. That doesn't mean we don't go through hardship. That doesn't mean we're going to go through difficulties in this life. But when we do go through those things, we know who's going through them with us. And we know that Paul says that none of those things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the promise we have in all those situations. Amen? That he's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's going to be with us. He's going to walk through. And we know that we're just getting through this earth because we know what's waiting for us on the other side, right? And we know that place that Christ has prepared for those who put their trust in him. There's many rooms. There's many mansions. There are many dwelling places in heaven. And Jesus says, I go there to prepare a place for you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in my father also. For in my father's house are many rooms. And I go there to prepare a place for you. So don't worry. Put your trust in me. So let's, let's be extravagant givers. Let's, be, let's just be extravagant givers in the way we give, the way we offer forgiveness, the way we treat the world, the way we show them grace. Let allow that gospel message to saturate your heart so that you are a vehicle of God's mercy and grace in this world. And let that be our testimony for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Um, I want to pray for you this morning. My gift for you this morning is I'm going to let you go early so that you can eat your chili dinner and enjoy this beautiful weather. And uh, so let's pray together. Let's, I want you to bow your hearts with me today. And um, How many of you, as is, is, is hearts are bowed, eyes are closed, how, how many of you here today would just say, Pastor Barden, just pray for me today. I, I, I need this message to really saturate my heart. I mean, just by the, being honest, by the race, I would say, Pastor Bard, just pray for me. That, I just want this to saturate my heart. Amen. Thank you for being honest. But let, let's allow God to do that. Let's allow his word to saturate us. If, if, you know, if there's steps that you need to take, if there's forgiveness that you need to offer, if, whatever it may be, allow the Holy Spirit just to work that in your hearts today. Um, he loves you. He's patient with you. He knows all our glitches. He knows all our dysfunctions. Jesus knows them all. And we give them to him today so that we can be his servant. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this family that's gathered here today. None of us in this place are perfect. We've made so many mistakes. We've been stingy. We've been selfish. We've been all these things, God. And I thank you for how tender you are with us. Lord, I pray that we would get a new glimpse, a new understanding of your grace and mercy so that it literally transforms our heart, that that gospel message that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost would literally transform our hearts so that forgiveness would not just stop with us, but actually it would continue through us as we forgive those who have done things to us. As we uh, bless those, as we give, as we walk with you in gratitude for everything that you've given us, help us to be generous in our love and our grace just how generous you have been to us. Help us to walk in, in your kingdom that way, God. And I thank you for your people, and I pray that you would just allow this to dwell in our hearts today as we receive your forgiveness and as we offer it. Thank you for the blessings that come with it, the joy, the happiness that comes with it, that, that, that nothing in this world could ever buy. And we thank you for these things. 
We thank you for your word today. And we just ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name.